Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. Glad you joined us. Uh, we are going to have a, a little different format today. Uh, we are sans guest. Instead, I thought it would be fun to uh, do kind of a mailbag kind of show. You know, we get your questions every week. But a lot of times we don't really have as much time as we'd like to answer as many of them as we would like to. So I thought, uh, as we have done once or twice before, we'll do a show that's devoted exclusively to the questions that you uh, have asked. And uh, we got a bunch of them that we're going to get to. Uh, And uh, uh, toward that end, and also to kick things off overall, let me bring in my partner in crime, Tripp Mitchell. Tripp, how are you? I am doing great, Al. And uh, sometimes when you're doing a great fight, so you had an incredible card from Carson, California yeah. last weekend. Do you ever go, I don't need to get paid for this. I'm just happy <laughs> to be here. That thought has never actually crossed my <laughs> mind. No. Um, never, ever? <laughs> not really. <laughs> Does that make me a mercenary or what? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I, you are. You do feel like what you're doing is a labor of love, that's for sure. And that was the case this weekend from the Dignity uh, Health uh, Sports Park, uh, formerly the, uh, um, what was it, the uh, the Home Depot, Home Depot Center, and uh, a couple other names as well, and uh, that location has a great history of having great, great, great fights. I don't know why it doesn't make sense, does it? Really, what's the difference where people fight? You'd think, you know, for some reason though, that area, that that specific location produces great fights, and that's what we had this past week on. Uh, showtime uh, in the first of a series of cards that we're going to have all the way through uh, September. And our very next one is going to be at that same location on May 29th with uh, uh, Nonito Donaire and Nordin Ubali heading up what is another trio of great fights and I think could be almost as good as what we had this past week. We had uh, in our main event, um, Brandon Figueroa and uh, uh, Neri, uh, 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 for a uh, world title, and uh, 
Figaro won by knockout in what was a pitched battle. And we also had Danny Roman, a former champion against Ricardo Espinosa, uh, what turned out to be a wild 10-rounder that Roman won. And then our first fight, a fight that honestly I wouldn't have necessarily expected to be this good because we had a late replacement, Juan Carlos Burgos, who stepped in to face 130-pound uh, contender uh, Xavier, Xavier uh, Martinez. Juan Carlos Burgos fought, he's a 33-year-old, he's a 17-year veteran of the sport, who has become a little bit of a trial horse for undefeated fighters, going the distance but losing. He's never been stopped in his life. Well, he came out firing on all cylinders, and uh, while he didn't win the decision uh, against uh, Xavier Martinez, he put on a fantastic show, and uh, the whole card was, it really was probably in the top 10 of all the cards. If you want to take the whole card, it's probably in the top 10 of uh, fight nights that I've ever done in my life, which is, uh, you know, pretty wow. extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, I thought about it afterwards, and I thought that's saying something. So it was a, a pretty extraordinary night. You know, it'd be interesting sometime in the future to have you give your, I know you're not big on lists, but yeah. top time fights where a replacement fighter came in and acquitted himself so well or had the right. upset in the win, because that would be a great category. Yeah, it is. And and it has happened in the past for sure. And uh, this was a, a perfect example of it. And we've actually had fighters come in and, uh, and do the upset as well. Uh, now, this weekend, <clears throat> I will not be doing boxing, but I will be going to a very special event. Uh, they're going to have an event honoring the late uh, – Marvelous Marvin Hagler, the city of Brockton, is, uh, Massachusetts, is putting it on uh, on the uh, uh, Sunday, the 23rd of uh, this coming this Sunday, uh, 23rd of May. And it's going to be at the Rocky Marciano uh, Stadium in uh, Brockton. And admission is free, though there might be limited seating, but people, if they're in the area or can get to the area, uh, they can uh, maybe contact Brockton about uh, about information uh, and look online. And there's a lot of stories about uh, how to arrange to, to get seated there. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a – it's going to be a special tribute to him. There will be a number of uh, – Bernard Hopkins is going to be there. I'll be on hand. Ron Borges, the – a uh, famous sports writer, uh, a number of other sports personalities will take part in the program, a special program to honor uh, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. So I'm thrilled that I was invited to come to it and uh, uh, a, a chance to say goodbye to uh, a man who was a good friend of mine and, uh, of course, an icon in the sport of boxing. And uh, this will be kind of an official goodbye to him uh, for boxing fans. So looking forward to that for sure. And you were lucky enough to be heavily, heavily involved in the 80s, where Golden Age and the Four Kings. And I know this means a lot to you personally, but that to me uh, was an amazing, amazing decade of boxing. It was. The 80s, I think, was the best decade boxing maybe has ever had. Uh, and the Four Kings were a big part of that. You know, uh, Hagler, Hearns, Leonard, uh, Duran, um, uh, and... Uh, it, you know, they they ignited the flame for that whole decade. And then there were a whole host of other great fighters that added to it. Um, and we're going to be having a, a documentary on Showtime called The Four Kings, uh, which is 
uh, starting, I think, in June, early June. I'll have to get the date on that. We'll be promoting it here. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting show. And um, so that yeah, that era was very special to me. I was I got to participate in it, and um, it's weird. It, it just seems like the time has flown since then because it seems like yesterday I was involved with. Uh, Marvin Hagler sitting there interviewing him before his fight with Tommy Hearns a few days before uh, when we walked up the we we started to walk up the steps to the ring and he kind of came behind me and came too close and we were on those steps and all of a sudden we kind of both lost our balance and we almost fell over and uh, and Marvin <laughs> Marvin, we get finally got in the ring, and uh, I was, you know everybody was a little shaken. And Marvin said, "You know," he said, uh, "He said I can tell you something. He said I can tell you exactly who they would have blamed if we'd have fallen, and I couldn't make this fight." <laughs> Meaning yeah, me, of course. Uh, yeah. So it was, but uh, you know, it was, it's a great, a great era for sure. Yeah, the Petronelli brothers knew who to call to have you taken out to the desert. Uh, yeah, I would, have been in, I would have been in big trouble for sure. <laughs> okay, well, let's get to some great questions. Miguel asks, what's your breakdown, Fulton versus Figueroa? First yeah, that's the fight on September 11th. Uh, Brandon Figueroa won uh, the uh, title um, and now is going to be in a unifying uh, title match with one of the other title holders, Stephen Fulton Jr., who uh, just beat Angelo Leo to win the title. That is set for September 11th. It is, they have been woofing at each other on uh, social media. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating matchup. Espinosa, or excuse me, Figueroa is a, a very intriguing fighter, a big, tall, rangy, 5'8", uh, fighter in that weight division who likes to fight on the inside. He doesn't even use his height and his reach. He just walks to you and he mauls you. And he beat Lewis Neri uh, with a huge body shot. <clears throat> and so stylistically, it's going to be a fascinating fight. Stephen Fulton uh, is a boxer, but against Angela Leo, he stood right in the pocket and battled with Leo, who's a phenomenal body puncher. He's one of the, there must be something about that weight division. Everybody is a great body puncher, and uh, uh, Leo certainly is. And Stephen Fulton beat Leo at his own game and won a decision. So that fight, I think, that'll, that, these 122-pound these things bookend our big lineup of fights. And the first one was great, and I, I have a feeling the last one is going to be great, too, with Fulton and Figueroa. And to me, that's a 50-50 fight. Okay. Donovan Casp asks, if you could have one celebrity to join you on a boxing broadcast, who would you pick to call the fight with you? All right. Um, do I have to specify whether they're straight or, or high? How do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's keep it straight. Just all right. You know, so this is be straight view. Listen, I've had a lot of fun with uh, with celebrities. You know, um, I've done lots of boxing matches with Mario Lopez, who, of course, knows the sport very well. I just had uh, Snoop Dogg sitting with me, among others, uh, <laughs> on the Triller show. And I've I've sat in with a lot of celebrities. I'll tell you somebody who I think would be a really cool uh, broadcaster to sit with doing a fight. And he was a guest on this show. He was the star of Mindhunter, uh, Lights Out, a series in which he played a boxer, Holt um, McCannelly, who is a very fine actor uh, and is a very thoughtful guy. And if somebody told him he was going to sit in and do the boxing matches uh, with us, 
I guarantee he'd study his heart out. He'd show up knowing all the fighters, and he would bring a uh, an A game to it. So he would be fun. Plus, he's such a great guy. Uh, it would be fun to sit and do it with him. I think he would be great. And uh, who would be your favorite politician to have sit in? Oh, boy. Well, this that's a tricky one, right? Uh <laughs> Who would be fun to call a boxing match with? Well, whoever I say is going to get 50% of the people will be mad at me and 50% of the people will think it's a good choice. So uh, I'm not sure I can even select one. You know, they used to have, in the old days, the, I remember watching the Cub games. They used to have, uh, back when I was a kid, they would have the senators like Everett Dirksen in Illinois um, and Paul Douglas. They would they would come there and they would sit in on the, the Cub games. And... Uh, uh, and they would, they were hysterical, you know, coming on there. Now I will say, I spent a lot of time with John McCain, uh, you know, who's since passed, of course. Uh, and John would have been fun to do a, uh, a boxing match with. He was a very big boxing fan. Uh, and of course he helped, uh, uh, bring through the Muhammad Ali act, which has helped in some ways, uh, with the sport of boxing and was designed to try and kind of clean things up a little bit. But, uh, John would have been, would have been great to do a boxing match with. I've, I sat at dinner with him and his wife, Cindy, on a number of occasions while he was preparing the, uh, Muhammad Ali act. So John would have been, would have been good to do boxing with. And I did uh, a girls' high school. This career has gone, it's just shoot through the roof. With I did the girls' high school Nevada State Championship with Harry Reid as my color. Harry Reid, who also was, was a a boxer. Fo- an amateur boxer. Searchlight Nevada. And yeah. yeah. I said, uh, I wanted to say something nice about his opponent, John Ensign, who he beat by 428 votes. We called him Landslide Reed. <laughs> and he knew everything bad about John Ensign and brought it up on the broadcast. Perfect. So, Just what you needed, right? You, you don't n- mess with Harry Reed. <laughs> nice bipartisan. I once played in a celebrity basketball game with John Ensign when he was senator. Let me tell you something. He was a good hoopster. Um, did not know what the word pass meant. Um, I was on the same team as him and he would, he could fire away and he could drain, you know, jumpers, but there, you know, you didn't look, didn't look, you didn't look to him for assists. So what can I say? <laughs> look, I'm following and, down Harry Reid's path and saying bad things about John Ensign. Oh, well. Well, and, and to, I talked to Al from uh, USA boxing this morning, we were trading stories and I told him about playing on a team with you and you do pass the ball. Which I is am a, a passer. Great... That's true. I could, I, I'm not, there are many things I don't do great in basketball, but passing is one of my traits. So that's good. Yeah. Every time you pass the ball, you don't miss a shot. My coach told me one time. <laughs> that's true. Right. None of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Shay Simmons asks, yes. How does the 122-pound landscape look? What's next for Danny Roman? Does Inouye move up from Bantamweight? Yeah. Uh, uh, That division, of course, I say is one of the best in boxing. And uh, it was the one that was on display for us last week and will be, as we mentioned, in September. And we'll probably have a few other people on before then. Danny Roman, by winning that fight, you know, he's number one contender uh, mandatory for, for the title that Stephen Fulton has. And yet Fulton is fighting a, uh, uh, you know, a, a unifying title fight uh, against Figueroa. So he's not available to Danny Roman. The man who beat Roman for his title, who has a world title, uh, Mujan Akhmadiev, is somebody he could fight uh, and deserves a rematch with because he lost a razor-thin 
uh, decision to him. And he's hoping that he can get a rematch with him, and I hope he does get a rematch. No former champion deserves a rematch more than Danny Roman. And anyone that saw him against a very tough um, Ricardo uh, Espinosa on our air the other night can dispute that. Danny Roman is a brilliant technician. And that weight class, you know, it has uh, Angelo Leo, who I mentioned before, who had a world title. Raiz Salim, who's been a guest on this show, who is a fantastic 122-pounder. Carlos Castro, another young uh, 122-pounder who's excellent. A number of great fighters. And you mentioned, they mentioned Inoue, Nayola Inoue, who's a 118-pound champion, who they've talked about him moving up. Now, he has the physical frame, certainly, to move up to 122. He and John Riel Casimero... Uh, who we're going to have fighting on Showtime uh, this summer against uh, uh, Rigandau, um for his his Bantamweight Championship, could also move up from 118. So uh, I don't know if they both have plans to do that, but they certainly could. They, wanted, they were supposed to fight each other, but uh, that fight had to be called off and then it never happened again. Uh, but Inouye and uh, Casimero would be... Uh, would be make that division even more insanely talented than it already is. But I expect to have great fights in that division over the course of the next two years. Hey, Al, you remember the days when a four pound uh, weight fluctuation was a big decision? <laughs> yeah, like now. <laughs> yeah, it used to be. And then uh, now that, yeah, going up from 118 to 122, it still is a, a big deal. Okay. Uh, our next question, one of our loyal is, uh, listeners asked a question, Rob Ovitt. I sent this about a month ago, but he didn't see the show where he answered it. So he's asking again, who had been in their prime, who would have won, Tyson or Foreman? Yeah, well, here's what we have to figure out, which prime, right? Uh, you know, there was George Foreman in his younger days uh, when he was heavyweight champion. And then there was George Foreman in his older days after he beat Michael Moore, uh, when he was in his forties. Um, it, it is interesting. So, and you, then you take Tyson, I guess, during his first championship run, I guess that would be his prime, not the second time he won the title when he ended up losing it to Vander Holyfield. But if you take the young Tyson and if I had to pick a foreman that would have actually been a better bet to, well, either either Foreman, to be perfectly candid, I actually think that either Foreman had a bad, was a bad style matchup for Mike Tyson. Uh, he had a way, and I talked to Foreman at length about this, and when he came back as a heavyweight, he was expecting Mike Tyson to be the guy at the who he was going to face for a world championship, not Evander Holyfield, and ended up being Evander Holyfield, of course. And so he had it in his brain how he was going to fight Mike Tyson. And he felt that Tyson, who was shorter than him, and he he felt he could physically push Tyson around. Uh, And he could use the uppercut and uh, that he would hurt him badly like he did Joe Frazier when he he fought him. This might be heresy. I tend to agree that uh, I think George Foreman would have been a nightmare matchup for Mike Tyson, and whether it was the younger Tyson Foreman, who I think was a slightly less likely, believe it or not, to be perfect against uh, uh, Tyson, or the old Foreman, who had 
found his jab at that point and was much better with the jab. I think either one might have been difficult for uh, Mike Tyson. And on the George Foreman front, have you ever seen a fighter have much as much of a transformation personality-wise as George Foreman one versus George Foreman two? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think there's a caveat to that. The 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 personality he was able to show to the public, because I don't really think he changed that much. He was kind of a funny guy when he was younger. It's just that they he, he, he kind of did play into the idea that he was going to. He liked Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston was kind of a a little bit of a mentor to him. And so he kind of adopted that a little bit. But I think the the George Foreman that most of the people I know that were around him say he was pretty funny back then. But then later in life, he got to kind of show that part of his personality. And yes, in terms of what the public saw, uh, it, it, one of the biggest transformations you can imagine. And did he ever pay you for that idea you had on the grill? <laughs> I think that was my idea, wasn't it? Yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> George did pretty well with that grill thing. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. funny to have a device like that and make, I think I heard over $100 million over the, the course sale, of the sale. The sale was very lucrative when he sold <laughs> the uh, the rights to that. Yes. Great. And uh, uh, next question, is Michael Buffer the greatest ring announcer ever, though Jimmy Lennon Jr. definitely would be tough competition? Well, I know both of these gentlemen very well. You know, we've had both of them as guests on the show. Uh, and in my early years, uh, when I started at ESPN, shortly after I started, Michael Buffer came on, maybe a year or two after, he came on to start doing ring announcing on the old ESPN series. Uh, and that was the beginning of his his career in ring announcing. And, I, and he did the ESPN fights for a number of years. Uh, and then, of course, the second phase of my career when I went to Showtime in 2004, uh, Jimmy Lennon was there waiting for me. And of course, I had known Jimmy very well and done some fights in which he was ring announcer uh, prior to going to Showtime. Uh, and each of them, you know, have a slightly different style of doing it. Although I think both of them, along with Jimmy's dad, who really did bring it into his Jimmy Lennon Sr., they were the ones that made uh, Jimmy's dad elevated ring announcing from the gruff, you know, I'm Johnny Addy, you know, it's four rounds and I say, you know, that kind of stuff to being more of a dignified host for the sport. And Jimmy Lennon senior, who was a former big band singer and, you know, had of just an impeccable style about him. Uh, he started to launch that then Michael Buffer and Jimmy Lennon Jr., of course, kind of really enhanced that, and 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 they became world known worldwide, uh, and they were became more of the host of boxing as opposed to what we had previously thought of as ring announcers. And uh, so I love both those guys, and uh, I wouldn't. It'd be like you know picking between Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. You know, you can't do it. Okay. And it's kind of funny because through you, I've met Michael Buffer and obviously been on the show and stuff and really a class guy. But it would be ironic that 20 years ago, his brother got hooked up or less than 20 yeah. years ago with UFC and had a wonderful career over there. It's amazing because his brother did a lot with Michael running his business affairs. And I don't know if he still when he stopped doing that, but he he was very a very integral part of Michael being successful with his branding. And God knows he's done enough branding. Uh, so uh, he and then he got his own, uh, you know, made his own way to fame through the uh, UFC brand, which is pretty, 
pretty amazing. If I say let's get ready to, and you say rumble, will we get charged? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Maybe okay. no. Maybe he, he'll let us get by with that. I'm not sure. Okay, sounds good. And uh, our final question, Al, Anthony uh, Vito Folletti asked, Al, did you always have the ultimate goal of covering boxing? Strange. That's an interesting question. I've been asked it many times. Really, no. Um, I kind of got pushed into boxing. I was in uh, hard news uh, for the first 10 years of my career. I was a, a print journalist in the Chicago area, and I became managing editor of a chain of newspapers, Learner Newspapers, which were a series of uh, community newspapers all around Chicago and the suburbs. And uh, I got with them as a reporter out of school and rose through the ranks, eventually becoming managing editor. And um, I wanted to get into sports all that time. All I really wanted to do was go downtown to the Sun-Times or Chicago Tribune and work as a sports writer. I never got the opportunity to do that. Uh, and I kept getting pushed up the ladder at Learner. And so I started freelancing in sports, uh, writing for different papers like the Washington Star. And I then because I had uh, uh, – I'd – worked as an amateur boxer, or I had been an amateur boxer, I started writing for Ring Magazine, covering some fights and freelancing for them. And then I got an opportunity to, I was at a party, uh, and a guy came up to me and he said, uh, somebody told me that you write about boxing. I said, yeah. He said, I'm a book editor. He said, I need to write, I have somebody write this book called Boxing for Beginners that's involved for, for young boxers. And I said, oh, okay, I'm game. Well, I wrote that book, and uh, Kenny Norton did the uh, forward for it. Uh, we got him to do the forward. And that started to push me in more of a boxing direction. And then I kept, kept writing for Boxing Illustrated. And then I clawed my way onto ESPN when they were just in a fledgling state, coming to the four different locations that they came to. One of them was Chicago, and I clawed my way onto that broadcast. And when I did that, to be perfectly candid – my assumption was that I would be on the boxing broadcast, but it would be an easy transition to do other coverage of other sports on ESPN. Silly me. Uh, <laughs> number one, we did boxing 48 weeks a year. So there was no time to cover other sports. Uh, and, and it was, you know, I was so much identified as the boxing guy that it wasn't occasionally I would get some opportunities like covering the draft for NF for the NFL or, or, or doing, or doing some other coverage for sports center. But then it wasn't until the early two thousands when, uh, I got more of an opportunity at ESPN to do much more for SportsCenter, and I did for several years covering Major League Baseball and other uh, other sports. My goal was always to do all other sports, but boxing pretty much took control of everything. And so over the years, you know, I've done uh, radio shows. I did one on ESPN affiliate in uh, in Las Vegas and on other places. I've done general sports radio shows, but uh, boxing kind of just took over the, the landscape for me. And once it did, you know, then it was, that was what I was known for and, and what I did. So if, if you had your druthers, what sport would you, as a, let's say a home team play-by-play -play guy, what sport would you want to cover? Yeah. If I was doing play-by-play -play for a, 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 a team uh, and I once did I was once 
getting considered to do a uh, a studio show uh, for. Um, I once talked to somebody about doing it for the Utah Jazz. Believe it or not, wow. um, yeah, and uh, and and it didn't work out. But uh, but I was in the running for it uh, to just go up and do studio shows. But the I, it would be NBA. I think I'd, that would be the most fun for me. Uh, would be to do play by play on an NBA team. So yeah, uh, and we have a, a mutual guy we both worked with, Tim Neverett, who went Tim's from doing guy. the Red Sox and is now at the uh, at the Dodgers, but 162 games a year plus uh, pre-spring, uh, that would be a lot of work, wouldn't it? <laughs> it is. You know, baseball, I think, you know, Barry Tompkins, uh, who's been, of course, a partner of mine for years, he did a couple seasons with the Giants, and that, and he was saying that you really, and I love baseball. I played baseball in, in, in you know, in, uh, when I was younger in high school and uh, college and uh, I, I love the sport, but he said, you have to really be a, a, a baseball lifer in a lot of respects to really want to do the, the, the full seasons of baseball teams. Uh, and you have to be pretty focused in and dialed in on it. And uh, it would be fun. I think it would be great. But again, that, you know, it's a different animal, I think, than even than doing some of these other sports. So And, and finally, I remember... Uh, and I've told this story before, switching over at the Santa Fe Casino, all the TVs in the whole casino to watch you do a uh, a game from up in Montana or something. But uh, <laughs> right. you were on about 65. The general manager of the casino played on her hockey team, and you got switched over. Every TV in the Santa Fe <laughs> was that ESPN game. So <laughs> I was doing a, t a game between Montana State and I want to say – the Raging Cajuns of uh, McNeese or somebody like that. It was, uh, I did a, I did a season of play by play, uh, in which I did the big sky conference, I guess, is Montana in there? I think they yep, are. That so, is. Yeah. <clears throat> and so that was a, a, out of a conference game, but, uh, yeah, I did a, a season of, of college basketball, which was a lot of fun. I did play by play with, uh, a number of different, really good analysts. Um, and, uh, uh, it was so much fun to do those games and that, yeah. So that I'm sure everybody in that casino really were desperate. This was desperate to see that specific game, you know, well, the it's biggest good to have power. Hey, does ESPN fly you guys when you're out doing games, first class coach, how's it work? Well, back in the day, it was, you were a coach, you're a coachy boy. That's for okay. sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, because they, they flew around so many people. I don't know what it's like now, but they fly around so many people that, you know, you were, you were scrambling for upgrades every in your life most of the time so i hate to break i hate to burst people's bubble but uh back in the when they were flying you around to do those those games uh you know it was uh it was, it was not uh, it was not deluxe that's for sure but it was okay. fun we had a good time uh, i want to mention our our friend and uh, cohort um uh, at the Worldwide Boxing Channel, uh, where we have uh, great videos that you can see, uh, World Class Boxing Channel on YouTube, go to it. Uh, and Tommy Ankello has great, great uh, videos there, both informational and historical, uh, that you can uh, glom onto. Now, uh, next week on our show, we're going to have a very important show. We're going to inter interview Tris Nixon, who is a Chris Dixon, who's a uh, uh, author that uh, wrote the book Damage, uh, which is about uh, fighters and the the safety uh, of of uh, 
that they have or don't have in the ring. It's a very important book and a sobering topic, but one that needs to be looked at and talked about. And he has done it in a, a really excellent book published by Hannibal uh, uh, um, uh, Publications. And so we're going to be talking to him uh, about all that. So I hope you enjoyed uh, this uh, episode, which we got to do a lot of questions, which we don't normally get to do with all the, all the folks. And uh, Trip, we'll, uh, we'll be back on, on store next week. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Al. All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us.